Our key text this morning is Romans 15, verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. It's on the screen. I want us to read this out loud together, please. Paul writes, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Let's do that again. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Pastor and author Max Licato, he tells a great story that sets the stage for the message today, and I want to share with you what he said. He said, once upon a time in a land far away, but not unlike our own, there was a tidy, well-manicured little neighborhood. They kept the streets clean. They kept the lawns trimmed. They kept the standards high. They had in each household two kids, two parents, a dog or a cat. They had goldfish bowls and a goldfish in each. They walked their dogs along the street. They waved at the mailman as he passed by, and all of them turned their lights out by 10. It was a quiet way of life. And then their lives were turned upside down when a man bought the house on the corner of Oak and Elm. A man, not a family, not a couple, a single man named Levi. Levi, as it turned out, drove a Corvette, and it was souped up, and he always kept the top down. Levi, as it turned out, mowed his lawn with his shirt off. Can you imagine? Levi, as it turned out, installed a pool and a deck and a grill and an outdoor sound system. While everyone else was in the neighborhood winding down, Levi, you guessed it, was cranking it up. He had parties. His friends came from the seedy side of town. They drove jacked-up pickups and low-riding Chevys. The guys wore dingo boots and had tattoos, and the women wore tight tank tops. Some guys had six-packs for abs. Other guys had six-packs in their hands. They all talked too loud. They all drank too much. They all partied too late into the night. And on Sunday mornings, when the fine people of the neighborhood were driving to church, They would look at the front lawn of their new neighbor, Levi, and they would notice it was littered with beer cans from the night before. And they would look at their children and say, Kids, that man needs Jesus. And so, Jesus came. He came literally into their neighborhood. He showed up in the flesh, and he walked the streets of that nice neighborhood. Jesus went door to door looking for someone with whom he could have a conversation. Somebody with whom he could grill a hamburger with. Somebody with whom he could play a game of pool. But everybody was busy. They were too busy with their curfews. They were too busy with their chores. They had a lot of responsibilities. They had all of their carpools. Everyone was too busy for Jesus except the man who bought the house on the corner of Oak and Elm. Everybody was too busy for Jesus except Levi. Levi and Jesus... They hit it off. They hung out. They told jokes. They discussed life. And eventually, Levi told Jesus about his sordid past. And Jesus, in turn, told Levi about forgiveness and a future. Levi said, even for someone like me? And Jesus responded, especially for someone like you. One day, Jesus paid Levi a visit and gave him a special invitation. And he said in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, Come, follow me. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
You see, this story paints a picture of a relationship between two men, Jesus and Levi. Levi, who eventually gave his life to Jesus and had his name changed to Matthew. Matthew became an apostle. He became a leader in the church and a gospel writer. But before he was Matthew, he was Levi, a Jew who worked for the enemy, the Roman IRS. He was a tax collector who made a living and got rich off of stealing and robbing from his own people. Levi was somebody that everybody knew and everybody hated. Levi was somebody everybody gave that evil glare to. Levi was somebody that everybody frowned upon. Everybody avoided him. The reality is, each of us have a Levi in our lives, don't we? Your Levi is the person with whom you constantly disagree with. Your Levi probably looks different than you do. They probably talk different than you do. They sound different than you. They vote different than you. Your Levi lives a completely different lifestyle than the one that you would approve of. So what do you do if your Levi is your boss or your next door neighbor or your teammate or your classmate? Better yet, what do you do if your Levi is your parent or your child? How does God want us to respond to the Levi's in our lives? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning as we conclude our series called One Another. The answer, how does God want us to respond to the Levi's in our lives, is found in our key verse, Romans 15, verse 7. Look again. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to to bring praise to God. You see, acceptance means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, especially in our society today. So I was curious, I googled the word acceptance, and the very first website that popped up was like this uh, mega corporate training uh, definition for all of their coworkers, for all their employees. And here's the definition that it gave for acceptance. Acceptance is the ability to see that others have a right to be their own unique persons. All right, it starts off okay, and then it continues. That means having a right to their own feelings, their own thoughts, their own opinions. When you accept people for who they are, you let go of your desire to change them. You let them feel the way they want to feel. You let them be different and think differently than you. That sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds very PC, right? Well, I would strongly disagree with that definition because there's nothing godly about it. You see, we should never encourage anyone to think, to feel, to act, to live however they want to in whatever way that pleases them if it goes against God's word. That is where we must draw a line in the sand. If they are choosing to live and act and behave and think and be different from what God has set in his standard and his word, then we have a right to say, okay, maybe there's a better way. Why don't we try looking at this? So we need to clarify what the biblical definition of acceptance is. The Greek word used for accept in verse 7 is the word proslambano. Say it with me. 
pras lambano, pras lambano. And it's actually a combination of two words, pras, which means to bring close, and lambano, which means to value. So when you put those two together, we get our word acceptance. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Acceptance means to receive someone into your life and then to see them as valuable. We receive them and then we see them as valuable. That's proslambano. That's the biblical definition of acceptance. The opposite of acceptance is what? Rejection, absolutely. And the way that we reject people, we push them out, right? We turn our shoulder or our back to them. We keep them at a distance because we don't believe in them. We don't think they can change. We don't see them worthy of our time, our energy, our effort, maybe even our prayers. Through our actions and our words, through our dirty looks, through our cold shoulders, through our silent treatments, we reject the Levi's of this world. And rejection hurts, doesn't it? Have you ever been rejected, maybe from a job offer or from a team? Rejection hurts, but acceptance is the opposite of that. It's choosing to receive someone into our lives and then see them and treat them as valuable. Jesus accepted Levi. He saw maybe what nobody else chose to. Maybe everybody else saw a guy who was a bully, He was probably a little corrupt. He was definitely greedy and selfish. He didn't have the right politics, and he definitely didn't have the right priorities. He was probably rough around the edges, and you know what? All of his friends were just as bad. But somehow Jesus saw a gift in Levi. He saw a story in the making. And then Jesus began spending more and more time with him. We read this in Luke chapter 5, verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So Levi invites all of his crooked co-workers to this big meal, this big party, and he invites Jesus, and Jesus says yes. Jesus shows up, and he hangs out with Levi. Now, I'm sure they ate some food together. They probably had some drinks. They probably played whatever the current game of the day was. Maybe they laughed a lot. Maybe they cried. They did what you normally do at any party. The point is that Jesus chose to receive Levi into his life. He was willing to invest in him. He was willing to be seen in public with him. And that upset a lot of people. Look at verses 30 through 32. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, why do you choose to hang out with those people? Right? I love Jesus' response. He answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call those people, those people that you look down upon to repentance. You see, Jesus didn't come out, come to hang out with people like him. He didn't come to hang out with the holy and the righteous and already those who were following after God. He came to hang out with those not like him, with the Levites not like him, so that they could become like him 
He came to help everyone discover their value in God. And that's why he made such a difference, especially in Levi's life. And it was that relationship that catapulted Levi to become a disciple of Jesus and then an apostle, a gospel writer, a pastor in Persia and Ethiopia, and eventually a martyr for the Christian faith. Levi, who became Matthew, chose to die for Jesus because Jesus was willing to choose to invest in him. And that made all the difference. That's what can happen. When you and I as followers of Jesus learn to accept one another the way that Jesus did. He sees you as a God story waiting to happen. He helps you discover your purpose and your value and your worth. And we love that Jesus was willing to do that for us, don't we? Come on, church. Do we love that Jesus was willing to do that for us? We wouldn't be sitting here this morning if that were not the case. So we've accepted that fact that Jesus accepts us. We see that Jesus accepted Levi. So what should our response be in return? How should you and I learn to accept those who are not like us? So for the rest of this time, I want to share with you four ways that you can learn to accept people that aren't like you. First of all, you got to get to know your Levi. Get to know your Levi. That reminds me of the classic movie, Little Rascals. You guys remember that? Their infamous He-Man Woman Haters Club. It was this group of boys led by President Spanky who form an exclusive club as a defense against all girls in the world and Valentine's Day. And every member has to stand in front of the crowd and they have to take this oath. I, Eric Pruitt, a member of good standing of the He-Man Woman Haters Club, do solemnly swear to be a He-Man and hate women and not play with them or touch them unless I have to, and especially never fall in love. And if I do, may I die slowly and painfully and suffer for hours until I scream bloody murder. That's the oath, right, that they take in front of everybody. And it's this ridiculous, silly, funny movie about childhood relationships we can laugh at it now but you know as I as I look at this image what I really think about is the church we do this a lot and we shouldn't you see we like to hang out with people who act and who think and who talk and who look just like us, don't we? We don't enjoy letting outsiders in because it pushes us out of our comfort zone, because it stretches us farther than what we want to be stretched. You see, the easy thing to, to do is just to ignore the Levi's in your life. If your Levi is your neighbor, you just simply pretend they don't exist. Right? The only time you ever see them or wave to them is when you're pulling out of the garage, going to work, and when you pull into the garage, coming back from work. You wave, you shut the garage door, and you never talk to them. Or maybe your Levi is a family member, and they keep calling you, they keep texting you, they keep desiring a relationship, but you simply ghost them. You ignore their phone calls and their text messages, and you never respond. Maybe your Levi is your boss, so what do you do? Uh, you call in a lot, sick, 
and you don't go. And when you're at the office, maybe you hang out in the bathroom for hours at a time because you want to desperately avoid them. But we can't do that forever, guys. So why not decide to engage with our Levi's by getting to know them? Here's a suggestion. Begin the conversation with your Levi by saying, help me to understand. Say that with me. Help me to understand. Help me to understand what it's like to be you because I just can't relate. Help me to understand what it's like to be a teenager in this day and age. Help me to understand what it's like to be a single mom raising three kids. Help me to understand what it's like to be born into poverty or to be born into wealth. Help me to understand what it's like to be a person of color, to be a woman in a company full of men, to grow up without a father. You see, because I can't relate to what you have gone through. Peter challenges us to do this in 1 Peter 3.8. He says, finally, all of you, all of you followers of Jesus, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You see, if we want to get to know our Levi's, then we must ask them to share experiences with us and then have the patience to listen. Listening does not mean that we agree with them. Most often we won't. But listening is the best way to get to know them. It's the main way that we get to hear where they are coming from. And that's something we all should do. Secondly, you should not shout at your Levi. Don't shout at your Levi. And that should go without saying, but I got to say it. Shouting often occurs when we talk to our Levi's because we often come into those conversations with some preconceived ideas. We come in with walls and barriers already built up and we have thoughts about them or assumptions that aren't necessarily accurate. While shouting may make us feel good in the moment, it definitely damages the relationship in the long run, and it prevents it from getting off the ground to begin with. There's a lot of shouting that takes place in our world today. All you got to do is pick up your phone or look at the news, turn on the TV. There are some news channels. There are some talk shows that exist solely for the purpose of shouting at people they don't like. There are some bumper stickers that exist solely for the purpose of shouting. There are Social media, that's what it's all about. It gives billions of people all across the world the opportunity to shout at their Levi's without ever saying a word verbally, and it makes me sick. I hate it. Paul described a person who loves to shout in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction. Let me ask you, church, does that describe you in any way? Are you someone who likes to just argue all the time? Start controversies and quarrels? Could someone look at you and say, yeah, that person's got a lot of anger or strife. They gossip a lot. They leads to a lot of evil suspicions. They are always in constant friction with everybody they talk to. If that's you, then you are someone who likes to shout. And we should probably work on changing that. You see, shouting doesn't get anything positive done. However, 
choosing to listen in humility, to have an open and honest conversation, that works. That works. Which leads to the next point. If we want to get to know our Levi's and we want to not shout, if we want to break down these barriers, then we have to lead with grace as we walk in truth. Lead with grace as we walk in truth. Jesus was the best example of this that we can find. John 1.14 describes him this way. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. And we see this take place with Levi the tax collector. Jesus hung out with Levi. He listened to his past. He learned about his life. He got to know him. He formed a friendship and then... Then Jesus invited him into a better future. But that wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have said yes if he hadn't have chosen to receive him into his life first and begin that relationship. Jesus never agreed with or supported Levi's job as a tax collector. But he also didn't ignore him because of it either. And there's a huge difference Friends, I believe that God gives us opportunities every single day to interact with the Levi's in our lives. But are we willing to step into that mess? Are we willing to step into that relationship, to step into that uncomfortable zone? Or do we just back away? And do we just stay with our holy huddles and look like all those boys in the He-Man Woman Haters Club? What do you choose to do? You see, if we really want to lead with grace, if we really want to walk in truth, then we must start believing that people can change. Nobody's final story is written yet. Amen? People can change. There's a phrase that gets thrown out a lot, which I really dislike. Most often I hear it in a conversation when I'm talking with someone and they've got a drug addict or alcohol addict, coworker or family member. And in this conversation, they'll say something to the effect of, man, I knew it. I knew they wouldn't last. I knew this change wouldn't stick because once an addict, always an addict. How many times have we heard that? Once an addict, always an addict. I hate that phrase. And I know hate is a strong word. But I can promise you that Jesus never uttered those words. Why? Because Jesus believed that people could change. He believed that people could change. Some of you maybe know a little bit about my brother, Blake. Um, I've shared about him in the past. But if you don't know, I have a younger brother. He's 13 months younger than I am. And we uh, have walked the same path, at least early on. We both had drug and alcohol addict parents. And while our dad, our biological dad, was arrested and in prison, Our biological mom shacked up with another drug addict and moved us around with her for months uh, running from the law. It got to be too much. She abandoned us at our grandparents' house, and we lived there with our grandparents for two years until they were getting too old to raise us. And then when I was seven and my brother was six, they asked the pastor at the church we were attending, small country church in Virginia, if they would take custody of us, if they would adopt us. And thankfully, they said yes. So from that point forward, when I was seven, my brother was six, we went from drug and alcohol 
home where I could tell you story after story of the things that I remember, my first memories growing up into a totally different lifestyle. Being at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. We live right across the church and the parsonage from that point forward. And obviously two drastic different worlds. But my brother and I walked the same path. I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 12. He gave his life to Jesus that same day at the age of 11. And we were doing great up until high school. But in high school, that's when Blake started to hang out with the wrong crowd. And they really helped influence him to make some very, very poor choices. At 16, he started drinking alcohol. He was smoking uh, cigarettes. He was sneaking out of the house. He was going to parties. And that cigarette addiction quickly turned into weed. Weed, after he graduated high school, quickly turned into meth. And that became his drug of choice. Despite getting married and having three wonderful children of his own, all Blake cared about for years and years was chasing the next high. He woke up every day figuring out how he could take and find his next hit. And I thought he had hit rock bottom in 2012 when he overdosed. He actually tried to end his own life because he was so lost. He was so depressed. He was such in a dark place that he tried to end it all and thankfully he wasn't successful but I got the call from Kim his wife and Bree and I rushed to the hospital and we saw him there he was in ICU on a ventilator for a week and I thought man this is this is it this is it if he comes out of this we've got to step in and we've got to do more than just pray for him from a distance because we lived in different states so that's when Bree and I decided to have an intervention and we stepped in. We drug him out of Virginia, brought him with us in North Carolina. We gave him a place to stay rent-free. We got him a car that he didn't pay a penny for. We got him a good-paying job with a, a guy in the church. We gave him everything, a brand-new life, brand-new opportunity. Things were going great for 30 days until he got his first paycheck. Then as soon as he got that check, he took back off to Virginia he blew it all in a weekend on drugs and alcohol. He totaled his car, got the insurance money, blew all that on drugs as well. And he burnt so many bridges in the process. Well, Blake continued to make poor choice after poor choice. He eventually left his wife and his kids and got hooked up with some other girl. She got him on heroin. And he's overdosed twice that I know of, having to be revived by Narcan both times. For nearly 20 years, Blake was trapped in an endless cycle. And my biggest fear for those last 20 years has been, I'm going to get a phone call that he's dead or he's in jail. That's what I fully expected. He's dead or he's in jail. Well, last year, Blake was arrested and he spent four months in jail. That forced him to get clean, but it wasn't his choice. So as soon as he got out, it took him 48 hours, but he got high again. And as soon as that happened, the judge found out, sent him straight to a six-month rehab facility. And it was then that he started to choose to change for himself. Accountability took place. The Holy Spirit really started working on him, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to change him from the inside out. Encouragement happened. I had been talking with him while he was in jail on and off, but during rehab, I was really pressing hard into him. I was sending him 
sermon links. I was sending him scripture. I was praying for him. And his mind became clearer. His priorities changed. He restored the relationship with his wife and his children while he was there. And I'm proud to tell you that Blake, my Levi, my brother, who for 20 years was a drug addict, he graduated from that rehab facility this past November, and he has been clean ever since. Ten months clean, the longest streak of his life. He's kept a good-paying job. He is choosing to be present as a husband and present as a father. He started to go to church again with his wife and his kids. There's a picture of him there. And I'm so proud of Blake. And here's why I tell you that story. Very personal. But I tell you that because I want you to know that if Blake can change... Anyone can change. Amen? Anyone can change. And that leads me to the last point. Acknowledge that with Jesus, and that's the key, with Jesus, every Levi can become a Matthew. Acknowledge it, not just here, but here. You see, it's time that we as Christians stop looking at other people we disagree with as less than us. Church, it is time that we as believers in Jesus stop looking down on those who live differently than us. It is time that we as a church stop treating our Levi's in our lives like they have leprosy. Where's the grace in that? Where's Jesus in that? Instead, we must look at the Levi's in our lives as a gift from the Father, as a testimony in the making, as a God story waiting to happen. And do you know why we must do that? Because you and I were all once a Levi too. We all were broken and needed fixed. We all were lost and needed saving. And thanks to God through the power of Jesus, we've accepted that. And we have transformed because of Jesus from a Levi to a Matthew. So how dare we give up on the Levi's in our lives because God can change anyone. You see, we're going to sing one song and I'm just going to offer a simple invitation. If you are here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, as the band comes up now, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Jesus said one thing to Levi. He said, come follow me. Levi left everything and followed after Jesus. And that was the best decision he could ever make. So would you be willing to say yes this morning just as Levi did? He's waiting with open arms. I'd love to talk to you and to pray with you about that. Or maybe you're already a believer, and I know most of you in here are. But maybe you've not been treating your Levi's the way that Jesus would. I would simply ask that you repent today. Recognize that your heart's not right and repent 
and start today changing and living and acting and treating others the way that Jesus would, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it pushes you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you pray this prayer. Stand with me as we close. I want us to pray this prayer out loud together. Father, help me to see the difficult people in my life as a gift from you. Help me to receive, not reject them. Give me the grace to help them find their value. God, help me to love them the way that Jesus loved Levi. In Jesus' name, amen.